0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, uh, for the fact that you and your providence have put us here, and you put us here for a purpose. You've, you are at work in us and for us and in our families. And Father, help us now to pay attention to that calling and to be diligent in that calling, to be earnest in learning how to fulfill what you've called us to do and be and uh, to think through these issues of life with our children and grandchildren, and uh, to honor you with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to talk about um, family culture as the bigger picture, if you will, of how we train our children. Uh, you know, There's the micro and the macro. We can look at the specific things, you know, how do you teach children to read, or how do you train them in this, that, or the other particular thing we want them to learn to do, uh, to teach them about obedience and attitude and those kinds of things. But I think maybe the, the most important thing overall is to get a, a grasp and a concept of the fact that our families are cultures. that um, And it's in that context that learning takes place. And, it, and that's a, another inescapable concept. It will happen. Uh, so Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. So you can have all kind of plans and ideas, but if your culture, and we're going to say more about what that is, uh, is not what it needs to be, it won't matter because the culture will trump your strategy. So let me think about it this way: If you had a great curriculum um, that you had worked hard to, you've looked at a bunch of curriculums and finally you settled. This is the best math curriculum or the best English curriculum for school. But then um, your your school day is totally disorganized, and you don't know where the papers are, and and you you get started at different times, and you're interrupted by a thousand different things. It doesn't matter how good your curriculum is. Uh, that curriculum is necessary. A good curriculum is necessary, but it has to be plugged into a culture and a context where it's effective. Your family has a culture, or another way we could say it, your, your family has a liturgy. We we know what liturgy is when we think about the worship service. There's an order. There's a, a, a thoughtfulness that's been given to every every element of worship. What we do, the call to worship, and all the various elements of the worship, there's a sequence, there's, uh, they're connected, we, and we understand that, or we should, and so there's a purpose and a goal and a function of everything, and so that is what liturgy does and a culture does, uh, and so it's not a question of whether your family has one, it's only a question of what kind you, your family has. And that's the same with church, right? If we talk about all the different worship services, we have formal or less formal, or sometimes people will say we're not liturgical, but actually they are. They might not call it that, but it's really, and I know what somebody, usually when somebody says we're a liturgical church means we thought about it and it's a little more formal, maybe a lot more formal, uh, and we put it on a piece of paper. But even a church that hadn't written, just like your family, if you hadn't written anything down, there's still a pattern of what you do. And the things you do or don't do teach something. The culture that you're currently cultivating will be multiplied and perpetuated in future generations, more so than you think. I always tell young couples that I'm counseling, if you don't self-consciously decide to change certain things From the culture you grew up in, then even if you didn't like them, when the pressure's on, that will be your default position. That's what you will do. That's the way you will resolve conflict. That's the way you'll keep house. That's the way you're going to default to if you don't have a plan to change it and to do something differently. In every place where your family culture is sub-Christian, that will be passed along unless someone intentionally interrupts it and replaces it with a biblical culture, and I'm hoping that's you. So most of us have had the blessing of growing up in a Christian home. Many of us have, uh, and we want to keep all the good things that we got there, but then we want to build on that. We want to improve that. We want to find the areas where we need to grow and change and self-consciously improve that. If we came out of a non-Christian Home, there's still things we learned. Um, We learned any number of skills and whatever that we want to hang on to, but many things might need to be replaced. So this includes everything. What is a culture? It's everything. It includes education, discipline, worship, TV, music, books, conversation, play, the table, food, art, conflict resolution, fellowship, travel, Vacations, recreation, rest, chores, hospitality, celebrations, holidays, giving, labor, study, and everything else. That's what makes up a culture. It's what shapes us. It's your obligation to be certain that every aspect of your family culture is as distinctively biblical as it, as you can make it. That means you've thought about it in light of what the Word of God teaches us. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk in the way, scripture is directing and underneath and around and above all of that. And so I think we're sometimes tempted to think that child training is just a list of techniques and strategies, a list of do's and don'ts. And when we come to see it as a comprehensive, as comprehensive, that can feel overwhelming. Now, I could do a checklist. I can do, uh, you know, perhaps ten things on a list. uh, But it's harder when I start saying, no, it's 24-7. It's everything. Everything is a lesson. Everything is instructional. Uh, well, we want the quick fix, but sin and redemption are both comprehensive, right? It wasn't like a part of my life is affected by sin. All of my life is affected. And all my life is affected, of course, by the redemption of Christ. And both of those, uh, both sin and redemption, require, in order for me to deal with those, require understanding, uh, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. I have to know what's going on. I have to think about it. Most of us have never even thought about how all these areas of family culture need to be transformed. Our goal is not to have good little boys and girls who mind their manners. That's not high enough. The goal is to raise mature, godly, self-governed adults who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbors uh, even more than they love themselves. If your culture is not producing that, then something, perhaps many things, need to change. So let's think about the broader culture now, outside of our families, American culture. Do you like the culture you see? If so, then keep doing what you're doing. And if not, then we have to chart a new course. And it matters, and it makes a difference. We were, uh, our visitors were at our house last night, and, and we were talking some about how <laughs> Uh, reformed theology over just in my lifetime. And and many of you have seen how a conference or books or these various, all kinds of things, schools and churches and things that have started that were really small. And you think, well, you know, it's not having an impact, but you look, you look at, you follow that out 20 years or 30 years and it's enormous. And now it's all over the place. And, um, and so the same kind of thing, this is, this is how we change the world, is at your house. That's how Abraham was to bring about the ultimate blessing of the world, wasn't to go out and conquer the world, was to go to his house and conquer his house in the name of the Lord. And then God would take care of the rest. It's his work. But it, our work, he, he's assigned us to our specific task. So if you follow the trajectory of the broader culture, or for that matter, uh, your current family culture, where do your children and your grandchildren land? So Scripture tells us that we're to think of our children, we're to think in terms of our children and our children's children, uh, really to a thousand generations. Therefore, uh, uh, we're to act in faithfulness to God's Word. What we do now impacts all of those things. In fact, the sons of Issachar are commended in the Bible for understanding the times in which they lived and understanding what Israel ought to do. And so I ask, do we really understand our times and do we know what it is to do in the church and in our families to counter that? Uh, where are the defects, uh, deficits in the broader culture, and in our family culture, and are those self-consciously being addressed in your home? I don't want to just slide past that statement. Do you know where the deficits are, and are they being self-consciously addressed in your home? For starters, I'd suggest that the broader culture clearly lacks leadership, respect, and love. So that would be a great place to start at your house to teach those concepts, and to teach them regularly, constantly. And thus our homes, the outposts of the church, should be pictures of leadership, respect, and love. And remember those are not just feelings. Uh, respect, you show respect. You earn respect. You demonstrate that in what you do and what you say and how you say it and your attitudes, and you require that of your children. And you did, you not just require it of them. You show, it, show them what it looks like because you show respect. And you're respectable. You make it easy for them to respect you. And then you also show them what love is, sacrifice, self-sacrifice for the sake of others. And you require that of them even when they don't want to do it. And you do it, why? Because you love them. And that's what we're called to do. That's the culture we want to build. And so we tend to think of a culture as something that is out there that's having an influence on us and our families, this external thing, but a culture is found anywhere there's a community of people. It's through culture that our way of living is transmitted from one generation to another. That's how we do it. And that includes education, that includes the... The verbal instruction that we give our children, but that's only part of it. It's, it's what they see. It's the habits that we have. It's the forms. It's the shapes. As Henry Van Til put it, culture is religion externalized. So you can look at a culture and you can reason backwards and figure out who's the God of this culture. You can, so you can go that way. It's another way of saying that our ideas and beliefs have consequences and these consequences are visible in our communities. We might consider this the practical side of philosophy. It matters what we think. Every idea produces a particular kind of fruit and every culture is the product of ideas. Your family culture is the product of what you really believe. We could we could, if we could just observe the operation of your household, we wouldn't have to ask you anything. You wouldn't have to have any verbal description of what you believe. We could figure it out. We could decide. We could figure out what's really important. We could figure out whether, you're, whether the culture is one that's more selfish or giving, or loving. Is it disrespectful or respectful? Is it diligent or not diligent? I mean, we would go down all the list of qualities and things in a culture. Is it lovely? Is it ugly? Uh, All those things would be present just by observation. However, not only do ideas have consequences, that's a familiar phrase to most of us, but I like to say consequences have ideas. You can reverse that. In other words, again, we can look at what's going on from the other side when we see a culture and its fruit, uh, which is what we often see first, someone comes to our church, they might not know what we believe, but if they are around us for a few weeks, they 'll start asking you know about if if, if it 's a lovely culture they 'll want to know how did you get this culture and then we 'd have to say well it 's the ideas um, and uh, I jokingly one time had a uh, the guy helped build my house, and Carolyn is when John G was working on uh, your house. Uh, out there where Becky lived, and uh I was out there, and he had hired, uh, I had Drew and Parker worked for him one day, and they were just pleasant and, and, yes, sir, and showing respect, and uh it was the counter to someone else he had had working the week earlier. And uh, I got back out there the next day, and he said, I got a question for you. I said, what are you putting in the water out there? And wo- he thought they were both from Woden. Uh, he said, "He said those are the most respectful young men I've ever seen," and I said, "It's the sermons," uh, <laughs> and, and there was some truth to that. Um, and the other carpenter said, he he he, uh, he came to me separately and he said, "If I had sons, those are the sons I would want." So that illustrates. What we're talking about when we say we want to see the fruit and then inevitably it becomes attractive. You say, I want to know what produced that fruit. What kind of, you know, if you had a really good peach and you really, you would say, what, what variety is this? Where, where do you get more of these? What kind of tree, where, where's the tree this came off of? That's what I want. And so every culture is the product of those ideas. So, Again, when we see it, a culture and its fruit, and we see that first, we want to know what ideas produce the culture. What is the theology behind what we're seeing? And there is always a theology behind what we're seeing. Many times the ideas have not been thought about in a systematic way. Uh, we either don't evaluate the culture at all. We just, oh, it just is. Or the ideas seem to be random and unconnected. But we all do philosophy. We don't all do it well. Our philosophies are often haphazard and inconsistent. And I'm urging you to say, to sit down and look at your culture and say, which parts do we want to hang on to? Which parts are working well? Which parts are producing lovely fruit and which parts aren't? We need to make some changes. We need to think through some more things. What is the, do you have a theology for your table? What's happening when you sit down as a family, assuming you sit down as a family at a table? What's happening there? First of all, something's happening there. It's now a question of what is happening here. And is it lovely? And is it doing what a table should do? Is it promoting communion and community? Or is it doing something else? Um Since we are inevitably philosophers, that is, we inevitably have ideas, we have to strive to be consistently Christian in our philosophy. A family is a community and thus it has a culture. And so let's say, let's say you grew up in a, in a family that didn't have a lovely culture. It had a lot of, as we say, dysfunction. Well, change it. You can go, you can improve that. You're, you still got time. That's what you're called to do: is to make improvements. So don't don't become a victim. Don't say, "Well, I guess, you know, I'm just the product of this bad, broken situation." Uh, that's what God's in the business of doing: is changing cultures, changing people, starting with you, and then working itself out. So uh, just as the broader culture influences family. A family culture, likewise, family culture influences other cultures uh, that it comes into contact with. So family culture is a reflection of its ideas and beliefs, and some people have better uh, are better than their beliefs, and other people are worse than their beliefs. Um, so sometimes I don't live up to my beliefs, I fall short, and sometimes there are people who may not have their theology all in order but do a really good job anyway with certain things, with their children, for example. So Paul writes in Second Corinthians 10, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we want our thinking, our beliefs, our ideas in our families to be brought captive to christ what does he want how does he want us to talk to each other how does he want us to resolve conflict how does he want us to handle money how does he want us to raise children how does he want us to sit at the table how does he want us to and i don't mean a list of rule of uh, do's and don'ts some kind of legalistic thing well of course he wants us to do it in love for example he wants us to do it with kindness and patience and joy uh, those are hard to put on a list I mean, they, they can go on a list, but they're, they're, they're much more organic than that, right? Is there, it is therefore essential that we develop this self-conscious and distinctively Christian, these Christian ideas about family culture. Uh, and so again, what do we want the broader culture to look like? What, what do you want America to look like? Well, then make your family look like that. You want it to be wholesome? You want the young ladies to be modest? And gracious and young men to be gentlemen and kind and, and, uh, self-sacrificing. Is that what you want America to look like? I don't just mean what you, what you like, but as a Christian, you want a Christian culture out there? Then you gotta have a Christian culture at your house first. That's the one God put you in charge of. Don't wait for them to fix it, cause they won't. You fix it. By the grace of God. Now, our own views on a subject are often shaped by a variety of sources, family, friends. If I ask you where did you get your ideas and your culture, you'd say family, friends, media, school, pop culture, church, the Bible. We can't easily sort through all these influences and separate them because they've often been jumbled together. And, in fact, they're likely blurred in our own minds, and we kind of have these fuzzy images So therefore, if we're going to think more biblically, we're going to have to have a bit of a winnowing process by which we evaluate our ideas in light of sound theology, replacing old ideas with new ideas. Unfortunately, it's not uncommon for us to make minor adjustments in our lives and think that we've made major adjustments. Uh, We've often gone one mile in the right direction when, in fact, we need to go a hundred. So don't settle in with just little teeny uh, changes. Sometimes what's needed is a pretty dramatic one. Uh, So God created man in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. And man forfeited all of that in his rebellion. A perverted man was the result, a twisted man, a deformed man. And all kinds of difficulty and misery ensued with conflicts in the family and the culture and the broader culture. Uh, continuing and expanding, and in the midst of this chaos, God sent his Son, uh, the firstborn of a new humanity, a new culture, a new Adam. And this new man who also had knowledge and righteousness and holiness with dominion over the creatures is the redeemer, the purchaser uh, of of uh fallen man. And so he is the model, he is the image of what we are called to be. So our transformation is our restoration to true humanity, and that true humanity does not look like the popular images of humanity. Um, In fact, it's likely contrary to much of what we have picked up along the way. What is a true man? What does he look like? Cleaning out the garage, which I need to do right now, um, is a dreaded task for most of us. Maybe not. Some of you probably have it nice and tidy. Uh, mine goes in. Uh, it's kind of a bell curve. Um, so there are lots. Of, there's lots of junk that we collect over the years, and a lot of it needs to go. Uh, but if we want to build something useful, we're going to have to. We're going to need some space and some tools, and some plans, and so what we need to build is a biblical family culture that we can leave to our children, and our children's children, and we need to build a culture that's going to change the world, and so we may have to clean out the garage first, we may need to sit down and say, what needs to go, what What do we have here that's keeping us from doing this, too much time in front of the TV? Too much of this, too much of that, not enough of this. Um, As you know, I enjoy woodworking, uh, especially furniture building and bowl turning. And after I clean out my garage, I always, if I'm getting ready to start a project, I start with a set of plans. I need an image of what that project is going to look like when it's finished. At the very least, I need that image in my head. I usually do better if I also have it on a piece of paper. That I can look, and, and I will look at those plans, um, sometimes and I'll say, that is complicated. I wonder if I can pull that off. I remember building a, doing a 3D cutting board. And I really wanted to build it, but as I looked at it, I thought, I, I don't know if I can do that. That's complicated. Read through the instructions once and said, nope, I can't do that. Um, so I, I doubt whether I can pull it off, and I certainly make mistakes along the way. Uh, it's almost always harder than I imagined it was going to be. But in the end, when the project is finished, I've created an heirloom, something that might be passed on for generations. Uh, we all have images in our heads uh, of the way things are supposed to be, and over time, we become those images. That's why who your friends are matters so much. You're going to become like them because they're the images that are before you all the time. Uh, this is why we have to be careful about what goes in because what goes in eventually comes out. Our mental images are partly and subtly formed from past experiences, our own upbringing and culture around us, Um, But the Bible talks to us about taking off the old man, take off the old images and put on the new man, put on a new image. Uh, That's essential to our ceasing to be an old man and becoming a new man in Christ. There has to be a new image. We are being conformed to the image of his son. That's why the Bible sets before us who christ was and what he was like and we're to look at that and see that image <clears throat> so taking off the old man the old images putting on the new man is is what is going on these new images can and must be formed by the word of god thus we are not conformed to the world but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds we think about things differently we think about marriage differently and children differently and life differently. And through that lens, his thoughts become our thoughts. For us, as the new humanity in Jesus Christ, everything has become new. And again, being conformed to his image, the old new images are replaced by new images, and therefore a new family culture should emerge. It's essential that we have before our mind's eye the picture of God's ideal Family is the ideal father, husband, wife, mother, children, and household. It's really, I think, a good exercise to sit down and just imagine what would a perfect father look like. Of course, we we know that, right? Because we have one. What does a perfect mother look like? What does a perfect child look like? Now, these images will be too grand, uh, Too grand at first, anyway, for we all fall short of the glory of God but it's in uh, but it's his redemptive work, the work of the spirit and sanctification that moves us in the direction of those images. and so we're going to have to refer to those images often that's one of the reasons we come back to church every first day of the week to be reminded we were here last week and we'll be here next week. And we do the, see these this liturgy, this culture, these images over and over and over and over and over, so that it gets in our bones, it's ingrained it's, it's how we think it 's how we live um, that 's the purpose of liturgy, and so um Within the context of the broader evangelical church, we can hear men honestly attempting to speak to a corrupt culture and calling people to repent, but there's often no solid biblical culture to replace it with. We can be critical of that culture out there all day long, but we've got to have something to put in its place. And so we're often not filled with models of what godly culture, godly family culture should look like. For that, we're going to need some godly husbands and fathers to self-consciously form that image and then lead their wives and children to catch a vision of what family culture that family culture looks like that honors our calling in Christ. What kind of adults do you want your children to be? That's a great image to have before you. So when you're dealing with a 2-year-old or a 4-year-old or a 10-year-old, you should be thinking... What do I want them to be like when they're grown? What is Whatever it is they're doing, good or bad, what does that look like 10 years from now, 30 years from now, if it doesn't get corrected, if it's bad? Or if it's good, what if I cultivate that? What's that going to look like in 10, 20, 30 years? All those things have a trajectory. They're going somewhere. They're going to bear some fruit, right? So... Uh, loving, sacrificial, hospitable, hardworking, intelligent leaders. Is that what this trajectory is? Or uh, what kind of husband or wife or father or mother do you want your children to be? That's why it's important for fathers and mothers to love each other and to set before their children an image of what marriage is. It's beautiful and attractive. So back to my furniture building. When the project looks complicated and overwhelming, What I try to do is focus on one piece, maybe a hundred pieces. And if I get to looking at that, I can feel overwhelmed. But if I turn to page three and say, step number one, we're going to make this piece. I've never made that piece before, but I read about it, think about it, figure out what tool I might need, make sure my tool is sharp, and uh, sometimes I cut a test piece on a scrap piece of wood to practice to be sure I'm getting it right. And I think, okay, I can build that. I might not be able to build the whole thing. That one scares me. But right now, all I have to do is build this one piece. I can follow instructions. I can produce that one shape or that one element that is part of the whole. I still need to see and I still need to remember the big picture. Go back and look at the the cover of the plans and see where I'm headed and what I'm doing. In fact, if I'm ever to see the project come to completion, I'm going to need to refer to the plans often while I'm focusing on the particular task that's before me. So I read the directions in their proper order over and over again. There's a saying in woodworking, Measure twice, cut once. Um, and uh, i found for me sometimes measuring three times is helpful too. So uh, you can't stretch wood. Um, so, um, so don't read them. Don't read the Bible. Think of the Bible as an instruction book. Don't read it if you understand it. Read it until you understand it. That's a different proposition. Well, I don't know what that's talking about. Set it down. Then read it again. And then go ask somebody, and then read it again. Read it until you understand it. Um, and so uh, God's Word contains the plans and the directions for building a family culture. It's the church's task to maintain and instruct her members in God's Word, to send her members out the door uh, to their various outposts where they will self-consciously apply those lessons day by day. Indeed, it's a grand project with challenges, with frustrations, with failures, but also with much help and much hope. The inspired scriptures are for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, why that the man of God may be complete or mature, thoroughly equipped for what? Every what every good work isn't that, what we're, isn't that what we're doing in our what we want to do in our family culture? So we all begin the project of building a family culture with different skill sets, different experiences, different tools, different raw materials. Some aspects of the task are going to be easier than others. Some children are easier than others. Some families will excel where others struggle. That's one of the reasons we're here together, by the way, is to help each other both by positive and negative example, as well as literal help, babysitting and uh, fellowship and encouragement and prayers. Um, so God knew that there would be struggles, and he knew that when he called us to the project, and by his grace, he's able to supply all of our needs in Christ. Uh, he does this by placing us in his church to work alongside others. So regardless of where we are when we begin, we must begin. Looking to him who has begun a good work in us. Uh, In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So while you're raising your children and developing your family culture, God's at work in you doing the same thing, training you, changing you, developing you. So a big part of these good works for most of us include the building of a family culture that conforms to his plans. So um, I'm going to pause there see anybody have a comment or a question or idea, anything. We'll sit here for seven minutes if you don't. Yes? Uh, the biggest question I think I have is, uh, do you think more that uh, liturgy encourages culture, or do you think that culture encourages liturgy, or are they just that's liturgy? I, I don't think, yeah, I think I would just say they're mutually dependent on each other. They feed each other. So um, it's hard to say which came first, there, the chicken or the egg. Uh, they're mutually dependent. Uh, so if you have a good liturgy, it's going to produce a good culture. uh And a good culture, obviously, if you start with that, if you grew up with family, then, you know, you're going to, these things are are back and forth. So you can always improve. You can always get better. You can always have more understanding. More maturity is how I would put it. So if you, no matter what, where you start, you're starting here and you're hopefully if you're moving, and you're moving in the right direction, you're moving here. And, and when you get to the end, let's say raising your children, you get here, you're going to look back and say, boy, we made a lot of mistakes. We, we tripped over here and here. And if I had this to do over again, God forbid, uh, then I would. we would change some things. You, why? Because you've grown and you've, you've matured and you've learned from your mistakes. So, um, well, maturity is the goal. Maturity, no, maturity is the goal, and obviously, the sooner you can get maturity, the better. Maturity is wisdom. Uh, maturity is is knowledge, understanding, and then wisdom is knowing how to use it, particularly in new circumstances, which parents are faced with every day. Hadn't seen that before. <laughs> That's a new one. Now, what do I do? And and had that. I had, you know, four kids, and this is number five. And the first four that never showed up on the radar. But today, this one is presenting me with a new question, a new challenge. How do I handle that? Right, Andrew. all christians are versed in their beliefs yes and most civil atheists the ones who are civil trying to be moral are better than that. well what i say is uh, two different things yeah all christians since our standard is perfection the you know you're to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect so in that sense we obviously all fall short of the glory of god and therefore our standard uh, Anytime I sin, anytime I fall short, then I'm living below my standard. Uh, I shouldn't change my standard. Uh, I should just continue to grow and mature. Um, unbelievers are still made in the image of God. It's what we call common grace. And they live in God's world and they work and they produce things and they invent things and they do kind things. They're still, they're still a remnant. Just like there is a remnant of sin in every fallen man and woman, there is a remnant of the image of God in every fallen man and woman. So I say, uh, good people do bad things and bad people do good things. But the, the, the things, those good things don't make us right with God. Jesus Christ makes us right with God. It, it is His righteousness. Perfect righteousness makes us right with God. So, um, the good works are the product of faith in Him and gratitude, and, uh, we, we love Him, therefore we keep His commandments. So He's changed our hearts. Yes, sir. Yes. Good. Well, I don't know, I guess it depends on what his beliefs are, but he, in that case, he obviously doesn't believe that this baby is made in the image of God. That's not his motive for being pro-life. Maybe he just thinks babies are cute. I don't you know, whatever. So his, yeah, his, their quote, theology is bad. They have a false God or no God. Uh, everybody has a God, but uh, that's another discussion for another day. Um, but yeah, so, but I'm saying even among Christians, Sometimes we have fellow Christians who have a different theology than us. So let's say they don't hold the covenant theology or maybe this specific view of raising children. But I look over there, and they're doing a really good job at raising their children. They're respectful and loving, and it's a beautiful household. And here we are. We got all our theology and, you know, checkbox. Yeah, I believe all the right things, but then I go to your house, and it's not so lovely. That's what I mean mainly. Sam, did you have your hand up? Well, friendship, it starts with friendship, spending time with each other. That's why hanging out at each other's house or having people over for dinner, going to the park or being at fellowship meals, getting to know one another is where that begins. So we have relationships and we live in community. And so obviously there's the broader community when we're all sitting here like we are right now or at a fellowship meal, but then there are those individual conversations, the Again, times that are people, or you're at their home, or they're at your home. That's why all those things are really essential that we, uh, are able. Sometimes we see things we like, and we say, man, I like, I was over at so-and-so's house, loved the way they did family dinner together. I think we want to borrow some of that. Or I really hated the way they did family dinner together. Let's be sure we don't do that. Um, and, uh, so, that's what I mean by learning positively and negatively in, in a community. Um, but as you develop close friendships, you should be able to sit down and have those conversations with each other and ask. I really think one of the best things to do is find two families, maybe one that's about similar age kids that you have, and then an older family and say, you know, I really respect them. I like what I see. I'm going to ask them if from time to time I can go to them and get advice or ask them how I'm doing. But you got to spend time. They can't answer that if you're never around them and you don't spend time with them. But having genuine input is really helpful because you have blind spots and you need some other folks to point those out to you. All right, uh, we're out of time. Let's pray. Father, uh, we give you thanks again for your word, for your love for us, for you giving us children and giving us families. Help us, Lord, to honor you in that calling and to be found faithful, to be good and faithful servants. Bless us now as we prepare for worship. In Jesus' name, amen.